Hey, this is Matt Franco. And this is Eric Dittleman. And this is Mind Over Magic. Dude, I had the craziest dream last night. That's cool. Is it about me doing the scam show a couple of weeks ago that I didn't talk about on the podcast yet? I don't know if it was about that, but don't we have something you're going to correct us on today? Oh, yeah, we have a correction. First one. For what sure. a way to billboard. Wow. <laughs> we did it. We did it. Um, so cohesive. Yeah, and I can actually speak now. Uh, hopefully, that people can actually hear the difference in sound quality in my microphone because I just got a brand new mic and a whole new mixer and uh you know we're upgrading as we go figuring this out and literally the mixer and all this equipment came yesterday so i've only had a little bit of time to deal with it and i'm sure as i learn the tech a little bit more i'll be able to even make this sound better that's the goal but and when you say we're upgrading you mean you eric are upgrading because i have the same microphone that i got from guitar center three years ago yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, free plug for Guitar Center. <laughs> <laughs> Hope we uh, don't get sued for that. No, no, no. I'm sure they'll be appreciative. Uh, but I want to do a jump right in with this correction. Um, yeah. Because I re- realized last week I mentioned uh, the presidential campaign of Kanye West. Yeah. And I think I said he's no longer running and I don't know where I read that headline or something but boy is he definitely still running you know what's funny is i actually read that after you said it and then i saw something that contradicted it saying that he is still running so i'm confused right but uh he's had campaign rallies and everything but i mean we're not here to cover the campaign of kanye west that's not what this podcast is about but i did want to bring that up because um uh just just politics in general is something we've kind of avoided in the first two episodes and you know we don't want to do a deep dive per se again that's not what we do but it is you know affecting every bit of life on both sides of the aisle uh and uh you know for me i i just try to make light of some situations i'm very jokey so i i just found out like posting on social media like i i made a joke about you know something political and i just don't know what it is about people that they either ignore the joke part, <laughs> but they they have to they have to respond with their political beliefs as if you're one hundred percent you know trying to get in a fight with them. And I don't right. know what that's about. And I don't know if you've experienced that at all or have any insights into that or just avoid I should just avoid politics altogether on social media. Yeah, I think if it's a joke with a message, I don't mean I don't think it means you have to avoid it, but if it's a joke with a message, you know people are going to fire back on that. Right, yeah. I guess if there's a point of view and you're trying to sway someone. But if I, I thought I was being all-inclusive. I thought it was a joke that both sides of the aisle could laugh about and have fun. Uh, and, and it leads into those people that also just, no matter where they see something political, they have to insert themselves. And what ends up happening, especially on like Facebook, is two people start fighting with each other that I both know, but they don't know each other. They're strangers to each other and they go back and forth. And I just don't understand that mentality of like, how do you think you're going to change someone's mind if you don't know who they are and you're just spouting and digging in deeper into your side and your stance. And, and that's, that's been frustrating to me uh, when it comes to social media lately. I see those things all the time. I don't chime in when I see the arguments between people who know each other, two strangers, people that I know, people that I don't know. I just do a little bit of, uh, for the lack of a better word, lurking yeah. when I see that. You're still going to use the word lurking. I see. <laughs> <laughs> I learned nothing from episode two. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, go ahead. What's the joke? Oh, it was something about uh, how... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I want to say it on air now because of all the controversy it caused, but uh, it was just a joke how no one's really thrilled about Biden, but right now we have a president who's the great divider, so maybe voting Biden would unify us all because we're not all excited about him. (laughs) That was the joke. So I read this now that you're saying it, and I actually wasn't clear 
Were you saying people are all not excited about the current president or Biden? I didn't understand which way you meant it. Oh, so you're saying the problem was not the political stance, the joke structure. <laughs> well, I started leaning towards maybe that being the problem when you told me people, quote unquote, ignored the joke. <laughs> fair, fair. Then I thought, well, maybe they didn't get it. And then yeah. I remember it now that you said it. That That's fair. That's fair. So so I just got to up my writing skills is what you're saying. <laughs> and then it'll solve all problems. <laughs> We're trying to do that all the time anyway. I got to tell you about this dream I had last night, man. Yeah. So weird. So weird. So I'm running outside at night. In the dream. And, hmm? In the dream. You weren't dreaming while running. Like you weren't no, out was... for a run and you took a snooze while running. In bed sleeping, okay. running in my dream at night, I've got my parents walking alongside me while I'm running, casually, which probably says something about the speed I was running. <laughs> so not very fast. Now, yeah, I guess. And now, as I'm running, I'm doing like the limbo, but okay. forwards. And there's no limbo, there were no limbo bars they were things that were natural to the environment, like fences, for example. Mm -hmm. And instead of leaning backward, I'm crouching forward, ducking under these bars maybe every 10 or 15 yards. Don't even try to estimate how far that is because I know you can't <laughs> estimate. No, I bet it, yeah. In the distance, there are these kids. I don't know if they're skateboarding. I don't know if they're making an amateur music video. I don't know what they're doing, but there are some kids there. And as I get to the lowest bar... So um, my head's pretty close to the ground. One of the kids picks up dirt and throws it in my face. And I woke up. Wow. Now, if you were to play the role of a dream analyst, I don't know if that's a real job or not. I'm pretty sure that's a real thing. I think, I think tangentially related to like psychics and that kind of thing. There's definitely people who do dream analysis. Well, put yourself in those shoes for a moment. Let's say you're a dream analyst. Oh and boy. I'm your patient because everyone has common dreams, right? Where they say, oh, I had a dream where I couldn't move. My legs wouldn't work or I couldn't run. Have you heard things like this? Yeah. And there's a lot of work-related nightmares and stuff where you're replaying scenarios of like walking out on stage naked and stuff. Yeah. And then they claim, I think, and maybe there's science behind this. Maybe there isn't. They claim that there are certain meanings uh, of why you had that dream so in other words i had a dream where my legs couldn't move i didn't really have this but and they claim oh well that means you feel like you're stuck in your life and your job or whatever they relate it to something you're doing in everyday life right right so the night before last i'm going to give you one more this one's dark man uh <laughs> tiana my wife tiana was collecting bodies Again, in, this was the dream and not happening yeah, again. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, she's the sweetest person in real life. I don't know if she was preserving them. I don't know if she was a serial killer. I don't know what it was, but she was collecting bodies inside of our mattress. Wow. So the mattress in the dream was hollow and, and enough to hold several bodies. And I found out because I was laying in bed and one of the bodies wasn't dead, was alive and was trying to escape. And that's how I realized there were bodies in the mattress. So I come to you as your patient with these two things. Wow, that's, that is dark. That is very dark. <laughs> Maybe right. she was trying to save them. I don't know what she was doing. I, I have an answer for one of these, okay? Well, you're I the think, doctor, man. I you got to have an answer for both. I, I, I should say right off the bat that I have never studied dream analysis. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but I'm pretty sure the body ones has a clear answer, and that is... Uh, it, it means that you've been watching too much Forensic Files, <laughs> which is totally, I know, one of your favorite shows. <laughs> it is. There's a new version now, and I haven't even really watched it yet. I, I got to catch up, actually. But yeah. yeah, all right. That's one answer, I suppose. I mean, I've been watching that HBO, um, uh, I'll, I'll Be Gone in the Dark about the serial killer in California, Patton Oswalt's uh, wife. Uh, wrote about it, Michelle McNamara, uh, and I just right up your alley. You would love all these like true crime murder things. I love true crime. Yeah, so I'm saying right off the bat, that's probably why you're getting into these dark, dark ones. 
I haven't even been watching the true crime stuff the way I usually do. It's I don't your know body why, telling you have time. It's your body telling you you miss it. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But what's with the thir- the dirt being thrown in my face? What 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 does that mean? I don't know. The only thing I can think of is like uh, some sort of a version, obviously, of like people literally, like if you think of it metaphorically, literally like throwing dirt in your face is like someone trying to muck up your reputation or, or how you present yourself or I don't know. That's the best I could do. You got your parents in there too. So maybe there's some issues there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you, you know, you're a homeowner and you know, the fences and all that stuff. It's like all this <laughs> extra, all this, all this yard work you got to do this around the house stuff that you don't want to do. <laughs> I don't know. You can picture me doing yard work. No. that's why i'm saying this is formed into a dream that was sort of a nightmare for you or a bad yeah maybe situation so so bizarre it's it's weird i don't remember most of my dreams i like i know i have them i know i you know there's some that have stayed with me when i wake up but most of them the moment i wake up they're like instantly forgotten mine are always bizarre like i'll be at someone's house a family member's house but it looks nothing like their actual house right why what's with that you know people usually say that when you have a dream a lot of times artists they'll say oh like this song came to me in a dream or this movie idea came to me in a dream mine are never really like that mine are just like bizarre like what's going on in this dream well i think it depends on the type of art you're creating maybe some of those bizarre stuff does influence these artists because they're so bizarre and out there and that weirdness helps inspire something and trigger something within them. But uh, it's, it's weird because I know that feeling you're talking about when you have something that's familiar and something's off, but then still in the dream, it still feels like it's right. Like it's correct. Yeah. It's totally normal. Yeah. So I think that's fascinating about the the mind for a while. And this is going to sound weird, and I don't believe in it. Despite being a mind reader for a profession, I'm very skeptical when it comes to paranormal things, right? Same. Uh, but uh, because I believe I'm just demonstrating what this stuff would look like, although, you know, my approach to it is kind of that scientific method of I'll, I'll believe it once there's real truth. But that being said, for a long time, I believed some of the dreams that I did remember and forgot were actual like predictions or you know premonitions of things in the future that would happen if you know what i mean you like, thought that the things that you were dreaming were like actual premonitions is that what you mean right and i have an exp- explanation for this now but like i would dream something forget it and then go about my everyday and they weren't like predicting huge global events or newsworthy things they'd just be like you know i walked by this dunkin donuts this way you know something mundane like that and then when i actually did that in real life i'd be like that seems so familiar i think i dreamed that but what really i think was happening was the feeling of deja vu right and i think Mm -hmm. deja vu exists because there's this weird um way your brain processes information, especially like in dreams where it's taking these familiar elements and it's processing them in likely or sometimes unlikely scenarios and kind of mixing them all together so that when you do have something that's like a little bit mundane and you remember those facts and then something that just normally would happen anyway, it kind of triggers like, oh, that did happen before. (laughs) Is it a coincidence or does dreaming about something subconsciously push you to do something so you dreamt about walking by the Dunkin Donuts subconsciously it made you want Dunkin Donuts then you go the next day is it like that I can read a book and it'll say the word ramen and then I go and immediately I'm like oh I could go for some ramen yeah uh, it's very motivational speaker of you because it's very much like oh you can be the master of your own dreams (laughs) you know you dream it up and make it happen Uh, but yeah maybe there's some truth to that influential power behind it but uh does that not happen to you if you if you're watching like a movie Mm, what do you mean like you watch a movie and then someone's drinking orange juice or beer or whatever it is and then you want one um I don't know. I don't really notice those if they yeah. do occur. If I think they're yeah. kind of 
limited in how well subconscious influence really does work. Uh, it's I think it's still kind of up for debate. I don't have all the research. You know, I do, you know, presentations of influence and stuff in my show, of course, um, where I'm getting people to do things I want. But I think when you get to the nitty gritty, I, I remember back in high school, I uh, for the science fair, I was always fascinated in like the psychic and, you know, um, presentations of things, ESP, uh, subliminal messages. And I remember doing a science fair project about subliminal messages where I would have students watch uh, a video. I think it was The Simpsons. And I flashed for a couple seconds on the image uh, like a circle. And then I showed them a bunch of shapes and tried to influence them or use that to influence them to choose one. And I think there was a little bit of a bump, but I think most of it was just, you know, statistical bias. <laughs> so you got to yeah. kind of offset that too, but. Right, right. I don't know how much that actually works. Yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah, so uh, I should tell you about the show I did, speaking of, since we're on the, the magic-y topic of weird was things Was this happening. the show with all the Eric's? This was. So um, for those of you who haven't checked it out, my friends Harrison Greenbaum and Patrick Davis run a weekly magic show online called the Society of Conjurers and Magicians, abbreviated SCAM. And I've done it a couple times. Uh, but I, th I this was about two weeks ago when we were first starting the podcast, so it just wasn't on the radar yet <laughs> for us to mm -hmm. talk about. Uh, but I had a lot of fun doing that show. It was called The Culling of the Erics, that episode, because they happened to book me and Eric Jones and then decided to book other Erics to keep that uh, game going. Uh, so other magicians named Eric, we all competed for our spot in the society uh, <laughs> to save grace. Uh, but I, I had fun playing with this idea because there's a, there's a bunch of magic shows, these virtual shows that are sending props to people, right? They're sending little boxes and you get them, they arrive in the mail at your house. And then when the show comes, you actually use these props in the show. So it kind of increases that experiential uh, process there while you're watching. So I thought to have fun with that, the gag was I told Harrison and Patrick and all the virtual audience members uh, that I sent a box of props to them and they oh, should yeah. go and grab it and then they come back, of course, being like, "Oh n no, no, we we didn't we didn't get anything. That's, that's no, nothing arrived." And then I just kept steam barreling forward, uh, steam rolling forward, saying like, "Okay, great. Now open up the box and pull out the props." <laughs> and it was just kind of playing fun off of that whole uh, that premise. Uh, but I wanted to ask your thoughts about uh, sending props to people for virtual shows. What are your thoughts on uh, would you do that? in your virtual shows, uh, just that whole concept in general? Um, if I had to take a guess, I think it's great, actually, because I think it adds a whole element of interaction. And if I were to, if virtual shows was something I was really going to tackle the way that people are doing that now as their, almost like their livelihood, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's, definitely could bring it to another level. If you're sending something to me to open up for the virtual show, I'm, I'm going to spray it down. Right. I'm going to make sure it doesn't have a fresh coat of Corona on it. Well, but, you um, leave it on the, the porch for, you know, a week first. That's why it comes so early. <laughs> yeah, you got to leave it in the sun. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it adds that element of interaction that you can't do. There's so much more you can do by sending even just a small box that has a few things in it. It could have a coin and a deck of cards or whatever it is that fits the theme of what you're doing. And now you know everybody there has the props to do whatever interactive magic or mentalism you're going to be doing. So I think it's great. If I were to tackle virtual shows, yeah, I would probably at some point want to do something like that because um, I do think it's the best. But, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm hoping to just uh, – hold out into being able to get back on stage sometime before 2036. So, right. So I'm going to put you on the spot in case that doesn't happen anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if you do the virtual show route, uh, you got to send a prop to someone. What, what would you send? Obviously don't go into methods or anything, but what prop would you send and like describe maybe a trick you might do using that prop on the spot, come up with a nap, boom. Well, it's, it's simple. I know so many cool, uh, like interactive card things that are, 
that are really better than what we've seen, in my opinion, on television for the past, call it 30 years, mostly because I, I think they shy away from those things because not everyone at home would necessarily have the deck of cards. So that right. instead they might have you do a trick that you need to get four cards. So if someone at home doesn't have a full deck, they could still participate, or maybe they could use business cards or pieces of paper. But there are some, so many cool things you can do with like a full deck if, if you can count on people at home actually having that to use, and they can shuffle it themselves. I mean, I, I love cards. I'm drawn to, to card magic in general, so... That would be the the easy answer is to have them either send them that or have them be prepared ahead of time to have a deck of cards. Uh, even if it's not a full deck, you can still do stuff with, say, half a deck. I, that, that's where I would go with that. But I'm always drawn towards to card magic these days. I, I study it every day. Yeah. I've seen your setup with the mirror in the kitchen and everything like that. I, I've been having a hard time figuring out how I would approach it from the mind reading perspective, because a lot of the stuff is so, you know, mundane envelopes, pieces of little paper and stuff like that. So it's kind of like, why would you be sending that to people? You, know? you should send them like something cool and interesting, like a talisman. Oh, I, yeah. I don't really have a talisman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anything could be a good luck charm. It could be anything from like a guitar pick. I'm just saying what's in front of me now. <laughs> You're just looking like around. A, a small notebook. I mean, it, you could send them any sort of interesting item. None of what I'm saying really ties into your brand as a mentalist. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. For me specifically, you know, and then also to be able to use it into a piece that's interactive. That's that's the challenge. Uh, so the best I've come up with so far is just sending a promo card, like a postcard of myself. <laughs> I try. I didn't even mean to do an eye roll when you said that. I really didn't. <laughs> No, I, I, it's on the to-do list of uh, really creating something uh, that's fun and experiential and, and, and not to just necessarily copy, you know, what other performers are necessarily doing with this whole sending out props, but it's just kind of a creative exercise for me. And if it makes sense and it does progress the show further, then that's something I'm willing to explore that way, I think. So you're going to start sending stuff out? Uh, not at the very moment. No, unless, unless it's that promo card. Cause that's all I got right now. <laughs> gotcha. I think you could come up with items that are important to you and, and create stuff with that. I think you can. Yeah, absolutely. The, the other thing I wanted to bring up about that online scam show I did is, um, when I do my virtual shows, it's very much, you have to be live experiencing it in the moment and then I leave it up for maybe a couple hours to a day depending on you know what my contract is with the client and then it then I take it offline and the thing with these scam shows are they stay online forever until you know they decide to take them down so you can go to their website magicscam.com we're giving them free plugs if you want to check it out or um, I think they also have don't go to this website.com <laughs> um, the premise is it's a secret society and only members should be watching it, but all these people are viewing it and voyeuristically participating. Lurking. They're lurking, exactly. <laughs> uh, so so the, you can go to their website and see all the back episodes. And that's another thing that's tricky when I'm deciding what material to do because I don't know if I want certain material that I do to live on the internet forever. I know sure. we both kind of experienced this with the TV spots we've done. You know, those are always going to be uploaded to YouTube and those last forever. But, you know, TV is very calculated when we discussed, you know, our approaches to America's Got Talent and whatnot of how we're going to pick material that works on that show. But at the same time, I didn't really think about in the long run, like, how is the longevity going to look? Can people replay this over and over and over? Uh, so, so what are your thoughts on approaching that? Uh, it devours, it devours material. The internet devours material just the same way television does, maybe even faster. Yeah. The way things are shared and whatnot. Um, I think it's just a matter of deciding when, when you're ready to put something out there and when you're not. Some people now will put works and progresses out there, something mm -hmm. that they're just working on that's not even ready. And then they'll, two weeks later, they'll say, okay, now here's where I'm at two weeks later. And here's a month later. And you're actually seeing the progression of them learning something and working on something. And then maybe they do it on a TV show a year yeah. later. Who knows? So I don't think it necessarily hurts to have something out on the internet. Um, I think it's okay. I really do. I don't think, I think the days are kind of gone where 
maybe they're not. I don't know. I think comedians definitely look at it in a way where they do a special and then they kind of burn that material and now they write a new hour for the next year. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up because a lot of the times, even when they release an album, it's, it burns that material, right? So that they can work on new stuff. And if they want, if anyone wanted to hear those jokes, they just go to the CD or no one uses CDs anymore. The MP, <laughs> MP3 file, <laughs> you know, the album on Spotify or iTunes and they can listen to their favorite jokes that way. But I do know there's comedians that still, you know, reach into that bag of old tricks in live shows and do the greatest hits because that's what some people want to hear. But I, I think, think it's, it's more it's of good. a personal choice. I really do. Mm-hmm. Like, I think comedians are choosing to do that, to push themselves, to write the new hour. But do they have to? Um, even a well-known comedian that has people buying tickets to go see them, I would say a, a large percentage of that audience isn't going to be familiar with literally everything they've done. Yeah. So even if it's 50% material that they've published before, I, mean, I don't know if that's the right term to use. Sure. Even a big fan maybe only heard 25%, half of that, half yeah. of that 50%, maybe. I think it also depends on the fan, because I know for certain comedians, I listen to every single one of their, you know, albums if I'm obsessed I'm the same them. way. I'm the same way, but, you know, I think we're maybe in the minority if you look at an audience of, say, 1,500 or 2,000 or 3,000. Mm, I, I might disagree with that, because I know just fandom in general you know, attracts yeah. obsessive types. And, you know, once you find something you like, you devour it. But I, I do agree, too, that being part of that process you were talking about is interesting. And that's why I originally started that Amazeball show that I was doing here in New York. And it's a live show. And I've been hesitant about doing any virtual or online version of that for a couple of reasons. One, it's a, it was a place to try out new stuff, um, and some stuff could fail, right? It could go wrong. And I wouldn't want that to last online or people to necessarily see that online. And also it was kind of billed as an R-rated type magic show. So it's much raunchier. You know, anyone can really come and watch an online stream. But, you know, 10 o'clock late night on a Thursday, you know, in Queens is a different brings a different audience, you know, than than anyone who does instant access of it. So I didn't want that to be limiting in what performers wanted to try. I've also done raunchier stuff at that show that doesn't necessarily uh, line up with my public image that I present all, uh, 100% all the time, but it's a place mm-hmm. to experiment and try something. So, um, yeah, uh, but that's how I build it was you get to be part of, if you're there live, you get to be part of the process and see how we're developing these uh, new effects and new ideas. And if something does mess up, we're all friends here and keep it into the small, you, you know, the small family that's watching the show. How do you explain that? So, for example, uh, talking about building new material, I think I think when people see a comedian and you are familiar with everything, I think people c- might walk out disappointed if they say, oh, he didn't do enough or she didn't do enough new stuff. That doesn't happen in music. And now I'm generalizing here. Feel free to disagree. But at the concert, no one wants to hear the new songs. No. <laughs> yeah. They, no they, one. They get disappointed if you don't do the greatest hits. Yeah, but but even that, they go to the bar and get a drink during during art. We're gonna play a new song now. Right. Half the place goes to the bathroom. Isn't that true? Or is yeah. that just me generalizing? No, I think that's generally true. I I think it depends. Uh, you know, we're speaking today on the. Uh, it was announced. Uh, Taylor Swift is announcing uh, is releasing a new album tonight at midnight. A secret <laughs> album. I heard about Se- that. Secret album. So there is excitement for new music, but I think it's also. You, they're not tested yet. And it's also, I think, this communal thing, too. It's like, oh, what is everyone else like, right? So, like, with the greatest hits, you're like, oh, people are already on board. You know, I, I love this song personally, uh, but also all these other people. So there's that social proof, I think, that ties into some of that. And then for the new music... It, it's it's tough, tough to have a stand and be like, oh, I like this one song. Oh, everyone else hated it? Uh-oh. Uh, okay, maybe I shouldn't express that opinion until other people express their opinions. Uh, and I don't know if that's true just as we are as pack animals. And I'm sure people are going to be listening to this disagreeing, be like, I'm my own person and I don't care what other people think too. But I think it does play into why people are opposed to change and new things. And there's a comfort in the old. Um, 
where does magic fall on all of this? Because we talked about music, right? So music, people want to hear the hits. Mm-hmm. A comedy, I think people generally want to hear stuff they haven't heard. I don't think they're yeah. hoping that you do the bit about blah, 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 whatever it is. Well, I think the thing with comedy is there's a fresh point of view and people think that you're commenting on the world as it's happening now. And that's why they want that fresh new material. Uh, sure. So, so they're like the commentary to as we're tying into our first topic, the political stuff going on or just anything Mm -hmm. that's happening in the moment. Uh, But it's interesting, yeah, that question about magic, where does that fall into all this stuff? Because there is a mix, I think. Oh, it's a total, absolute mix. I think you can relate to this. Uh, Certainly, there are certain things, if I leave out of my set list, people would be like, even at the meet and greet, they'll be like, oh, I wish you did the blank trick. Oh, I saw you do this on whatever show. I wish you did that if I didn't do it. There's favorites. Well, that that's the tough part to balance because especially with magic, mentalism, the, the element of surprise is so important sometimes for misdirection or just not not having people know where you're going in any certain moment. And then, boom, you get that kicker surprise ending, that aha moment that's the wow. Uh, yeah. So so whenever people like before a show request a certain thing, I'm always like, well, now I'm not going to do that. Cause you've seen it, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> yeah, like, it's you- kind of like knowing the ending to a mystery movie. Yeah. But I've also seen there's research about, uh, you know, the whole spoiler effect that people actually tend to enjoy. Like they did studies on this. If something is spoiled beforehand, they enjoy it equally, if not more than if they didn't know. The surprise ending. And again, I think it goes into that comfort in that um, uh, there, there's a, the feeling of knowing that something is expected and they can relate to that and they don't have to be on their toes and really worry. I think it's passiveness and laziness, really, you know, <laughs> <laughs> where, you know, you could just be like, oh, I already know what's going to happen. and I already like it. So I'll just sit by and enjoy the ride rather than, oh, should I be worried about this or that happening? Well, sometimes you see it from a whole different perspective when you know the ending too. Like the movie Mm -hmm. Prestige, for example, it's almost like immediately after it's over, I want to watch it again a second time now that I know what I know. Right. Yeah. Same thing with The Sixth Sense and everything like that and that surprise ending. It's like, oh, that's cool to see how it led to that. Right. So it's it's more about the journey rather than where you end up. And I think maybe that's what's happening in magic, especially the classics, because everyone knows the classics in magic. Uh, well, Rings. everyone in our community, not not right. people in general. But I think if you ask a, a lay person, you know, name some magic tricks, they're going to say pulling a rabbit out of a hat or, you know, linking. Which rings I don't together. think is actually a classic. Right. But it became so synonymous with that picture of what magicians are that people feel like they know it but you also get things like straight jackets or cups and balls and stuff like that they i think people have a general idea of what a magician would do or or just like pick a card and i'm gonna find it as as the bare bones basic of an effect classic i guess means something different to someone in the magic community versus uh, a everyday person yeah, I think that's classics true. to everyday persons rabbit out of a hat. Classics to a magician is ambitious card and cups and balls. I don't <laughs> think a layperson would say the words cups and balls. No, I don't think so. But I think they might equate it to like the three shell game or Monty Street game kind of stuff. Yeah, but if they use either of those terms, I would fall on the floor in <laughs> shock. Yeah, that's true. That's true. When's the last time you heard a person say three shell game outside of the magic community? That's very, very true. Yeah. <laughs> but we do talk about it in magic as if everyone knows it. Oh, yeah, the old three shell game. They play it on the streets. Like we talk about it even on stage as if the audience knows what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Even in New York, everyone tells a story of how like they got swindled on the streets by the, uh, you know, the find the lady game and they're mixing up all the cards. But, uh, you know, living in New York now for six years, I have not seen one single game of three card money on the streets. And I'm sure they exist, supposedly, but not in the places I walk. (laughs) Have you never seen the three card Monty being played in the streets ever? I've believe i've only seen it in the context of a street magician oh wow yeah yeah. i actually saw a real game happening the only time i think i've seen a real one happening was once and it was in vegas but it was well before i lived here Mm -hmm. and it ended in in someone running and someone getting chased i swear right well i think that's what the real con is of that game is you know all the people that are surrounding it are in on it and they're trying to you know make it seem like it's a game you can win 
and advantageous people to play. But I think if you, whether you win or not, you're getting beaten up and mugged regardless. I think that's the end result. Certainly, if you think you've won, you're getting beat up, yeah. yeah. And I don't even know if it was that situation or if it was some sort of law enforcement intervention where the guy, I think he was playing on like a cardboard box. And what they do is they quickly kick the box just to kick the box away and run. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it was maybe something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, very strange. Back to our conversation about how magicians really approach the, the new versus the old. I think there's there's definitely us in the in the industry are super excited whenever there's something new. And, you know, it's kind of that inventive brain, right? And we want to see what's coming out and what's the latest and greatest. But I think as... That, that tickles our, like, creative brain. But I think as performers, I know me personally, I tend to go way back towards the, quote, classics, as we were discussing in our, you know, as, as people who perform it uh, consider them as opposed to lay people. Uh, we tend to go to those because those are the reliable ones, right? Those are the ones that we know garner a certain amount of success and have certain reactions and are built in. Yeah, method and technique is really not most important. Most important, I think, is your attitude, and your approach to it and your perspective and point of view on what you're, whatever it is you're presenting. Yeah, absolutely. The method doesn't matter as long as it works. Yeah. And people shouldn't see the method anyway. Exactly. <laughs> right? So as long as it works for you, it should be the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Matt, I think it's that time. Um, I think uh, it's your new favorite part of the show because uh, how you sometimes struggle and you're kind of like one for one so far on these riddles, but uh, we've Did we got do two. Yeah, well, you got both of them, but in terms of struggling, one came to you right away by accident, and the other you had to think and needed a little help and prompt for. So I'm gonna give you one for uh, or, uh, one for two. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> yeah, I can't lie. One. I'm very excited about the the new. Can right. I say it? The new song. I'm we so have excited. a song. We have a song to introduce this segment. So uh, it's time for. Diddle me this. Diddle me this. Diddle me that. Will Eric end up stumping Matt? Riddles. <laughs> I love that. That is courtesy of my brother, Mark Diddleman, who uh, is singing on that track and recorded that for us to use. So uh, it's time for your riddle. Matt, are you ready? I am not only ready, I'm excited. Okay, great. So a bus driver was heading down a street in Colorado. He went right past a stop sign without stopping. He turned left where there was a no left turn sign, and he went the wrong way on a one-way street. Then he went on the left side of the road past a cop car. Still, he didn't break any traffic laws. Why not? Because he's in Europe. Because <laughs> he's in Europe? Isn't that right? Don't they drive on the other side of the road? That maybe solved one part of that. <laughs> How about all the other illegal stuff he did? <laughs> you said he didn't break any traffic laws? Correct. Do you want to hear it again? Yeah, one more time. Okay. A bus driver was heading down the street in Colorado. He went right past a stop sign without stopping. He turned left where there was a no left turn sign. And he went the wrong way on a one-way street. Then he went on the left side of a road past a cop car. Still, he didn't break any traffic laws. Why not? Well, my first guess is already wrong because I overlooked the fact that you said he's in the fact that you said he's in Colorado. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he's in the United States. That's very clear in the setup. Okay. <laughs> so, so even the left side of the road. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's in the bus lane. He's in the bus, so you don't have to stop in the bus lane? I, I assume you do, but I'm not a bus driver, so I don't know. That is definitely true. You're not a bus driver. <laughs> we know that. <laughs> I was really hoping this would be that riddle where you start by saying you're the bus driver, and then you do a whole bunch of misdirection, and then you ask a question about the person. Yeah, that was on the list, but I figured you may have... Uh, you may have heard that one, and it's usually about, like, what's the color of the bus driver's eyes? And right. I, I can't really tell. What are they? Are they brown? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have brown Yeah, eyes? they're brown. So that would have been a weird way to end the riddle segment where you're like, brown. And I'm like, uh, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> but that's not this bus driver riddle. This is a different bus driver riddle. 
how important is me memorizing all the specifics of the rules he broke in order to figure this out? Not very. What Not I like about important. this riddle is it um, it takes advantage. And, and this is one of the reasons I like riddles in general is um, it, it, it's what we do in our industry as well is we take advantage of people's assumptions. And that's what this riddle is doing. Oh, uh, well. he's on foot, bro. That's it. <laughs> that yes! is it. Yes. <laughs> he is a bus driver, but he's walking. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. That might be my favorite one so far. Yeah, yeah. And those are the types of riddles I really look for because, um, you know, there's there's a whole genre of riddles that are just like describing inanimate objects and like flowery metaphorical text. And it's like, all right, I guess that all fits for, you know, how you, you know, described this teapot or whatever. But those aren't the ones that I really enjoy. I think the riddles that I like, they have to be kind of clever. They're, you know, either there's they're, some logic to them. There's like, even like murder mystery puzzles are kind of like the ones that I like too, because they're kind of lateral thinking. You have to think outside the box in order to solve them rather than these, you know, rhyming ones that are like, in the morning, I am. I don't, can't even <laughs> improvise one because I hate. What them has so much. keys but no locks? That doesn't rhyme, but that's one you wouldn't like. Um, no, as long as it makes sense, though. But if mm -hmm. it's like you know, it's like when the shadow passes over the moon. You know, it's something really flowery. That's like, all right, you're just viewing this thing from a weird perspective rather than describing some logic behind it. I love the psychology of that one, though, of just taking advantage of people's assumptions is so interesting. Yeah, yeah. So because you say he's a bus driver, this person's a bus driver, you would just assume they're driving a bus. Yeah, you never said that. Nope. <laughs> just just walking down the street. So that's why they can, you know, walk on the wrong side of the road. They don't have to stop at a stoplight. They can go down a one-way street the wrong way. It's amazing how quickly we jump to conclusions. Yeah. Or, or you're, you know, just a bad driver that has, uh, you know, one of those police cars that gets you out of jail free. That's the other solution. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have to say, you gave me a great clue because it was a clue where it, it did give me a hint, I believe, because I got mm -hmm. it very quickly after the hint. But I still got that fulfillment of feeling like I solved it a little bit. Yes. Absolutely. That was a good. That was a really good hint. Sometimes it's really hard to give someone a hint on something like that. Right. That was a good hint. And I think from my uh, just so many of the escape rooms that I've done, I've found out like what's a good hint, what's a bad hint, you know? <laughs> because there's so many when you're doing escape rooms, sometimes they'll either just like tell you, and you're like, okay, <laughs> that's look under the right. chair. Okay, we didn't look under the chair. Uh, but right. you you want to have that sense of like, oh, I put that hint to good use and then I was able to come up with the answer myself. There's that self self uh, accomplishment element. Kind of like we were talking about with movies like The Sixth Sense and all that. Part of what makes those interesting is that all the clues were there. When you go back and see it the second time, mm -hmm. it's almost like, how did I not see this coming? That's what makes it interesting. There's a phrase that's often used in mysteries and I believe even in the magic world, I, I want to say Eugene Berger was the first time I heard this was the phrase, or it might have been Max Maven, uh, one of the two. Um, this is not a factual podcast, by the way. <laughs> but but uh, it was the term uh, inevitable surprise. So the fact that it's a surprising ending, but when it's exactly what you're saying, when you go back and you look at all the clues, it could only lead to that one possibility, and you should have seen it the whole time. But right. because there's so much stuff going on, you're not focused like a laser beam in on that solution. Uh, but then you get still surprised by it. That's my yeah. favorite, favorite part of magic and mysteries. Same. I know. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Should we hit it again to end the segment? Please. I love the song. So let's do it. Diddle me this. Diddle me that. Will Eric end up stumping Matt? Riddles. No, he will not. <laughs> With the help of a hint. <laughs> With the help of a hint. I did a uh, I did a Japanese TV show this week. From your home, I'm assuming you didn't go to Japan via Zoom. Wow! I get this. I didn't do any magic. Mm -hmm. I have no idea exactly what this documentary was. It's supposed to air in September. I don't even know if they're gonna dub in like what I actually said, or if they're just gonna have me saying whatever they want me to say. I'm not even sure why I'm wanted for this. 
Oh, that's fantastic. It took three tries. They could just do subtitles like over whatever you're saying and make you say whatever you want. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. I have no way of knowing what they do with it, I guess. But I had to do it three times. So I was supposed to do it at 2 p.m. my time. And the person on the other end recorded it wrong. So it didn't work. Oh, no. That's my nightmare for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so around 6 p.m., I gave it a second try. And then that didn't work. So oh, around no. 6.30, I did it a third time. And <laughs> after this, and I, I, look, we're in a pandemic. What am I doing? I'm at home. I was like, no problem. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. But since I did all that and I have no one to try my material out on, after the third time of doing it, I said, listen, the guy's name was Kenshi. I said, listen, Kenshi, I have to show you a magic trick and you're going to tell me what you think about it. <laughs> nice. And I did I did a little Zoom magic show for one person just so I could get a little feedback on a trick I was working on. Oh wow. That's what this world has come to now. So so wait, that's that's one more person than your last corporate gig you told us about where you were just said you were performing for a wall. So, so you're Well, that's what it feels like. Right. That, I mean, yeah, obviously there's more people, <laughs> but at least you you've now upped your feedback by one person. <laughs> Yes, I could actually see his face. He was reacting. He was a great <laughs> audience member. It almost felt like the real thing. Um, I have two questions. First of all, what was the documentary about? I think it's about magic. Okay. That yeah. would probably be a good reason why you were on it. Yeah, but I don't know exactly uh, what it, what it's for. Or, you know, I, I don't really understand it exactly. And there were maybe three questions. I answered them, and that was the end of it. Okay, and there was no clear like angle or direction from those magic questions that you were it asking? was actually they did ask some like inside magic questions about um some apparatus that i use that is is made uh by an artist in japan oh cool that's fun yeah so that that sounds good and what what trick did you show him i showed him a, a card thing that i've been working on um that that's it yeah oh that's cool and he, yeah. what was his reaction? Do you like it? He did. Yeah. No, I think he enjoyed it, but it was more for me than it was for him. Right. Right. So, <laughs> so now does that give you encouragement to try it on, let's say, two people? <laughs> uh, I, that. I would love nothing more than to try it for real people. I mean, yeah. that's really the only missing ingredient in all of this. So that's what I, I would love to be able to do. I uh, I was showing my brother some tricks when he was here yesterday or the day before and he's so analytical and like mm -hmm. wants to try to put everything together and he says to me at one point because it's kind of all just blowing his mind and he's like but i don't know what's going to happen at the end so i don't necessarily know where it's going and that's kind of what we're talking about I'm like yeah. yeah that's the point i'm not going <laughs> right. to tell you the end of the movie right yeah and that, that's that balance that's uh you know i'm still struggling with as we were mentioning with the online shows because you know, if something stays up forever to tie this all together in a nice bow <laughs> uh, is, uh, you know, if it's online and people can then know the ending, then they can just go back and rewind and see where everything's leading up. And obviously there's that old saying in magic and, you know, mystery arts is the first time's amazing and the second time's a tutorial, right? You're just <laughs> teaching sure. them the more times you see something over and over because you start to know what to look for and what to zero in on and, then you figure out the methods and so forth. So Well, that's the thing. On the surface, the method might... Uh, there are three stages to it. There's being amazed by it and fooled by it the first time. Mm -hmm. Then if you are able to figure something out, and most of the time people just think they figured something out, and honestly, I think 90% of the time it's wrong all yeah. the way, if not at least partially wrong. Right. Well, there's that psychology of people who just want to have an answer and it doesn't have to necessarily be the right answer. So like that happens all the time with what I do. They just go, oh, it's stooges, even though I get through straight, you know, such lengths to prove that I'm not using stooges. But they'll just say everyone's in on it. It's the easier solution. You know, right. Well, let's say the secret to the trick is he palms the card. That's like sure. the general answer. So you watch it the first time you're fooled. You watch it six more times and you figure out, oh, he palms the card. It's in his hand right now. I sure. got it done then if you stick around for phase three of all this and you start realizing why it fooled you the first six times and the psychology and the timing and the way it's structured then it becomes more interesting than the first time you watched it 
Yeah, that's that's interesting because then you start to appreciate the the technique and the reasoning, right? That goes into creating a bit of mystery, right? Uh, it's it's the whole thing of what we we just did uh, analyzing the riddle of understanding why that was a good riddle and what makes it work. And, uh, you know, it's taking a magic trick, you know, that's what we all do, you know, when we're watching a magic show. I, ideally, I want to go in with that first perspective, but because we've been in this world for so long, it's hard to turn off that analytical brain, right? So you're watching, you know, some show and some other performer. I can't help be like, oh, he did that move there. Oh, that's very clever. So, so you kind of have to almost watch performances sometimes on like two levels at the same time, appreciate it from fresh eyes. And with those experienced eyes uh, to really fully appreciate everything. And that's really hard to do. Super hard. Yeah. One of the things we were talking about before we jumped on here is people are actually listening. Yeah, people are listening. Uh, you know, we have uh, a, a, a bunch of people tuning in. We are, did I, did I mention we're on all the podcatchers now on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, and if there's one that we missed that you listen to, let us know. We'll figure out how to get it there as well. So if you're one of those early adopters of Mind Over Magic, thank you so much. Genuinely, we appreciate you joining us and being part of this thing. This is so cool. Yeah, we're just doing this for fun for us to catch up. But, uh, and we thought some people might be interested in what we're have to say and you know just us catching up and having fun. Uh, so it does mean a lot that people are digging it. So, uh, you know, if as Matt said, thank you so much. Really appreciate our listeners. And if you do want to, you know, let us know that you're listening, uh, you know, follow us on all the social media at Mind Magic Pod. I nailed it that time. At Mind Magic Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, and let us know. Leave a review. Five stars would be nice. Um, but yeah, I think that's. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, no, I was just say we appreciate the reviews. I know we read one on the air last week. Yes. And actually, I want to update you on that because... Oh, there's news on the, on the review. There's news not necessarily just on the review because the review was really over-the-top positive. Mm -hmm. And I tied that to, we were talking about Cameo, and I had kind of a ridiculous request about uh, wishing people a good time at a nightclub, which I had never... That's an odd request for Cameo. Right. Cameo is an app where you can request personalized shout-outs. Uh, shameless plug, $52, the amount of cards in a deck you can get a shout-out from me. Hello. Right, and um, I'd also like to plug, I will just take money, whatever you send, <laughs> since I'm not on Cameo. <laughs> and I'll say whatever. But no, no shame. I, I, I did the Cameo. I did the request. Nice. Immediately got a review and a thank you back. Was it, it the was same real. review? And a review, oh, the, a five star review, and a thank you. Oh, the 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 cameo was real. That's the, okay, great. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I really thought it was like uh, some kind of joke, some kind of like I don't know what this is. And immediately it was like, a, hey, thanks, Matt, great job. And I'm like, oh, all right. Well, I'm glad I did it, and I'm glad I didn't do it, you know, like a jerk. Well, let's uh, hope they find this episode and not the previous episode where we undercutted their entire credibility. <laughs> Oh man, too good, too uh -huh. good. What else is going on with you? Uh, there's uh, actually, I'm uh, I'm pretty pumped about. Uh, I, I'm gonna plan the rest of this week to do the Comic Con online, the Comic Con at home. I I mean, I'm not participating, but I'm going to watch all these online panels. Lurking? No, it's not lurking. <laughs> Wait a minute, wait a minute. So Comic Con normally, first of all, I've never been. I think it'd be really cool to go. I've never been to Comic Con, but yeah. I know that it travels around. There's two huge ones, uh, mm -hmm. and those are the ones that people normally think when you say Comic Con, although you are right, there's smaller satellite ones all across the country. Well, it used um, to come to Providence. Right, exactly, exactly. That's a satellite? That, I mean, yeah. I mean, they happen all over, and there's, there's also a lot of cons that are like Comic Con that aren't necessarily Comic Con that you can also uh, participate. But the, the main ones is uh, San Diego Comic-Con, which is uh, happens you know this time of year. And a lot of people go to that because it's so close to LA, a lot of industry from LA comes and that's where they make these huge announcements about television, film and media and so forth. Uh, but the other one is obviously the one here in New York, which I 
I've heard actually gets more people just, I think, because of the amount of people in New York that, you know, come. And I've stood in those lines getting into that, uh, those comic cons at the Javits Center here in New York. And the line would like loop around the huge convention center multiple times before you're let in sometimes. (laughs) It's just ridiculous how many people they jam pack into there but I, i've always had a blast and you know you you get to go through the booths and you you uh pick your panels you want to wait in line for it's a lot of waiting in line really uh, so that's the thing i'm most thrilled about this online version is there's no line waiting you just log in you see a panel you like and i think there might be pre-recorded although some are live with q a elements as well and they just go active on their uh, comic-con channel and you just tune in and and watch it's great that's awesome that's awesome so it goes all week long or what yeah it started yesterday wednesday and it's going until this coming sunday so did you start lurking yesterday i wednesday was a little late day they didn't have a whole lot planned i did tune into one which was interesting about conspiracy theories and you know how to kind of educate against that and how that's also been portrayed in comics which is nice that people forget i think sometimes with comic-con is this started as fandom for actual comics and it's since grown into this huge multimedia like a lot of people just go for the pop culture of the tv and the films but like yeah this has its roots in actual people just being like i want to read comic books and that part is often lost when you talk about comic-con despite it being in the name yeah i hear comic-con and i think the Red Ranger is going to be there and Lex <laughs> yeah. Luger or something like that. That's the wrestler, not the uh, supervillain. Lex Luthor is the supervillain one. No, I meant the wrestler. Oh, Don't okay. they go to Comic-Con too? Some of them do, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think you I know? got a Jerry Lawler sign. Heart. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yokozuna. Sometimes. I mean, I think the ones that have passed on are not showing up at Comic-Con anymore. <laughs> well, have they haven't all passed on? Wrestling is still around? No, that's still around. I meant okay. like are alive and breathing because you definitely named a few that were not. <laughs> Bret Hart's alive? I know. Is Yokozuna but not alive? I believe he is not. How do you know that? I. It's my job to know these things. <laughs> <laughs> I try to be well-rounded in the trivia knowledge I know. <laughs> what about Lex? Oh, I have no idea. I don't We're on a first name basis, Lex. Uh, yeah, I could see that. <laughs> How do you know that? We gotta, can we get a Google on this? I mean, no, we'll just save it for our next correction if we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But so um, who's going to be on today? You're going to go on and see a panel. Do they do anything Karate Kid related? Because I would enjoy that. I didn't see anything Karate Kid related. I know there's one that's Back to the Future related. Uh, where it talks about like the science of Back to the Future, which is kind of cool. Uh, there's a couple, you know, um, you know, TV shows that are coming out for like Disney Plus, Hulu, and whatnot. That uh, you know, they always do these teases, and you can talk with the cast. They they always announce those. Uh, I'm excited for the Simpsons one, obviously, since I'm such a huge Simpsons fan. But one that might be interested to a uh, to a lot of people on Sunday is Inside the Vault of Ripley's where the new curators of Ripley's Believe It or Not are going to go through some of those uh, weird and bizarre items that are in that Ripley's collection, which I think is really cool. Speaking of people who are no longer with us, I'm drinking out of a mug today. I I thought of this because you mentioned Karate Kid. I'm drinking out a mug that says, I do a great impression of a hot dog in honor of Robin Williams. It was his birthday a couple days ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Just wanted to make it depressing for a couple of seconds. Huge loss, yeah. (laughs) No, it is a huge loss. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and I saw a lot of people obviously honoring him and so forth. Uh, I had other things to talk about, but we should probably save it till, uh, till next week, I think. Yeah, you think? Yeah, I think we should end on that depressing note you brought up about Robin Williams and, uh, and call it an episode. <laughs> we, should, we should make an effort to make it end on a depressing note every time, if that's the case. This should oh, be our thing. No, I don't, I don't like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll leave you folks in memory of Yokozuna, <laughs> Robin Williams, Lex Luger. Who had Luger. similar pop culture influence, let's be honest. <laughs> you know... <laughs> When we think about the the luminaries in the field of entertainment, obviously Robin Williams is up there. But you know what? Nipping at his heels, I would say Yokozuna. <laughs> 
Oh, man. You know, I never watched a lot of wrestling, but I, I know Yokozuna because I had a video game for Sega Genesis, and he was one of the characters that you could pick. Yeah, that's a classic game. That's a great one. Nipping right at the heels. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you for episode four in exactly seven days. Yeah, thanks so much, and uh, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye for now.